27 uh, tonight. We're going to go back to verse 1. But um, there's this beautiful prayer that kind of sets us in the mood for what the theme of these chapters in the middle of Jeremiah are all about. It starts like this in Jeremiah uh, chapter uh, 20, verse 7. It says, O Lord, you induced me. And I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted violence and plunder because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. And then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. For I heard many mocking, fear on every side, report, they say, and we will report it. All my acquaintances watched for my stumbling, saying, perhaps he can be induced. Then we will prevail against him, and we will take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed, for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. But, O oh Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous and see the mind and heart, let me see your vengeance on them. For I have pleaded my cause before you. Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord. For he has delivered the life of the poor. From the hand of evildoers. And so Father. Tonight as we approach this amazing section in scripture. This, this amazing book that we've had the privilege of walking through over the last couple of months. And, and then to know right where it's at. Perfectly situated uh, in the scriptures. As, as this prophet of God who is lamenting over the choices that his people have made. The people that he loves with all of his heart. And yet he asks to give these dire prophecies, these prophecies of devastation upon the land that he loves and the struggle, the inward struggle that he has to face. And so, Lord, thank you for letting us get a little glimpse into what it is like to be a prophet of God through the eyes of Jeremiah, the lamenting prophet. And Lord, I thank you so much for these, my friends, and my family that are here tonight. Um, whether after a, a long day uh, at work or school or, or all the things that happen in life, the struggles and the trials, and then to, to come here and, and, and to give up their Wednesday night. Lord, I ask you bless them for that. Lord, I thank you so much for all the people that are working behind the scenes even now for the amazing worship team that we have up here for uh, Emmanuel and Dominique and Flea and Isaac just leading us in worship and, 
And then, of course, for Jeff and John in the back that work tirelessly behind the scenes in so many ways that we don't even know or, or can even begin to appreciate, Lord, I ask you bless them, Lord. I thank you so much for the privilege of being able to stand up here and deliver your word. I ask that you would just dig deep into our hearts tonight as we see the struggle, the, the inward struggle of a, a man of God. Through the eyes of Jeremiah, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is one of those sections, again, as we're walking through the book of Jeremiah, that very few people have ever read. And yet it is so deep. Uh, this section that we're walking through, chapters 20 and 21 and 22, and then all the way up to chapter 29, where we see the plans of God finally revealed to us. And that every single thing that he's doing is for their good. Yet in the instance, in the time, in, in the prophecy itself, in the delivering of the prophecy, a prophecy, it may not feel like it or seem like it. Because this is hard news. This is one of those prophecies uh, that has to be delivered because I, uh, Jeremiah loves his people so much. He doesn't understand fully what is going to happen, and yet he's going to be there in the midst of it. The God who chose Israel is going to tear down the walls of Jerusalem. The God who chose Israel. Israel is going to destroy the city of Jerusalem that he, that he loves as his own eye, as the pupil of his own eye. And the God who loves Israel with all of his heart is going to tear down that temple. The center of the worship of Israel. And they're going to be taken away into bondage for 70 years in the land of Babylon. And it's going to be one of the most devastating times in the history of the nation of Israel as a whole. Yet, yet the promise is, as we're going to see, and just to give you the overview here, the promise is that there's going to be an even greater miracle that's going to come to place because of this. An even greater miracle will come out of this than any miracle that has ever been done in the history of Israel even greater than the releasing of the people from the land of Egypt. They will no longer boast about how God saved them from Egypt, but how God has saved them from Babylon. And it all is the segue now of these chapters, the, the privilege that we have to see what Jeremiah is going through in chapter 20, verse 1 now he's no longer in his hometown. Now he's no longer with the, the common people. Now he's with the religious people. He's with this guy by the name of Peshur, the son of Emmer, the priest, who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things, these bad tidings. Then Peshur struck Jeremiah the prophet put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. Do, do you understand how devastating this could be to a person? Especially a prophet of God. And Jesus alludes to this in the New Testament. You, you persecuted the prophets. You were the ones that put them to death. You were the ones that hit them. 
And you see, Jeremiah is just telling the truth. He's he just telling what God had told him to say. He was just the messenger, right? And what is Peshur, this priest, who, by the way, is in charge of the entire temple complex, all the inner workings. He would have been like the administrative priest. He was in charge of all the things that went on in the temple. And what does he do to Jeremiah? Strikes him across the face. Why? Why does he do that? His whole livelihood is about to be destroyed. You understand that? The temple is about ready to be destroyed. And what will happen to Peshur's job? He won't have one. You see, Peshur, as he's striking Jeremiah with all of his strength across the face, says this in the very next section, uh, by the way. And it happened on the next day that Peshur brought Jeremiah out of the stocks. Then Jeremiah said to him, the Lord has not called your name Peshur, but Magor Mezabib. For thus says the Lord, behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends, and they shall fall by the sword of their enemies, and your eyes shall see it, and I will give all the land of Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall carry them captive to Babylon and slay them with the sword. After being released from those stocks that he was imprisoned in overnight, coming before the person who was in charge of all the administrative tasks of the temple and having to declare this truth again. Everybody's going into captivity. You see, Peshur's name meant freedom. That's what his name meant. His parents had given him this name, of course. It was a part of his life. I have the freedom. I can do whatever I want, including slapping Jeremiah. No one has control over me. I'm in charge of every religious exercise within the temple itself. He was in charge of making sure that everything was polished, nice and clean. He was in charge of making sure there was enough oil to light the lamps. He was in charge of, of all the, you know, the bread that was there in front of the ho holy place. He was there to make sure that there was enough materials for the temple. He was the one that scheduled the priests. He, he was the one that was in charge of the entire temple complex itself. And if the temple falls, what will happen to him? Jeremiah delivers this dire warning that everyone that he loves will be killed by the sword. In fact, so much so that in verse 5 and 6, it continues on, Moreover, I will deliver all the wealth of this city, all its produce and all its precious things, all the treasures of the kings of Judah, I will give into the hand of their enemies who will plunder them and seize them and carry them to Babylon. All those precious things that you are in charge of keeping track of. All those precious things that you're in charge of making sure that they're in their place. They're all going to be carried away to Babylon. And by the way, you can see this in the book of Daniel too. In the book of Daniel, these goblets 
that, you know, Peshur was in charge of, the, these gold goblets, these silver goblets that were used in the temple worship itself, they're taken away to Babylon and they're going to be used in Babylonian debauchery. In fact, when Daniel's older, it's going to be the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar who's going to use those goblets in his party with the writing on the wall. It's going to be the kings in Babylon that are going to use those same goblets. Those same utensils that are used here in the temple of God. The gold that plated the door of the temple. Going to be stripped off, carried away to Babylon. The bronze laver that was out, the huge, massive bronze laver, that, which was a big bathtub, if you will, in front of the temple is going to be chopped up and carried away to Babylon. Anything that's worth anything in the temple complex itself is going to be carried away to Babylon. And the temple is going to be destroyed. The thing that was the center point of Israel worship, Jerusalem itself, is going to be destroyed and carried away. It continues on in verse 6. And you, Peshar, freedom. And all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity. That name that he has, freedom itself, what will happen to him? He'll be captured. He'll be enslaved. As we read earlier, his name is literally going to be changed to terror on every side. No, no longer free, but captured by fear itself. Terror on every side. You shall go to Babylon and there you shall die and be buried there. You and all your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. Is it scary to not tell the truth of God. <sighs> you see, there was one qualification to be a prophet of God. You had to tell the truth all the time. You had to tell the truth of God all the time. Every single 100% of the prophecies of prophet had to come true. If one of them didn't come true, they could no longer be considered a prophet of God. And by, you know, Levitical law, they had to be even killed. And for sure as he is, you know, going against everything that Jeremiah is saying, even, even so much as going to the point of slapping him across the face, knowing that this temple itself is about ready to be destroyed. Putting Jeremiah in the stocks cannot prevent the prophecies of God. The eventual outcome of what will happen. But, of course, Jeremiah, being human, has struggles too. Can you imagine in the stocks overnight that, that still pain of the sting across his face? And he composes this prayer in the midst of that. And of course, there's several times where Jeremiah does this. We're going to see it later on when we get to, you know, chapters 38, when Jeremiah is literally in a pit as he composes the book of Lamentations. 
having to sink down and, and then to compose this beautiful lament, not for himself, as we're going to also see in this one, but as the definition of a lamentation is, uh, lamenting over them. Not, not crying for himself, but for his people. Lamenting for them and their conversion, for their sins, for their repentance. We, we see the struggle here. Look what Jeremiah says in verse 7. O Lord, you induced me and I was persuaded you are stronger than I and have prevailed. I'm in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. You, you tell me to tell this prophecy to the people and all they want to do is mock me, deride me. Now, I, I have the privilege of, you know, speaking multiple times in our, our church, but, but you understand what it would be like you know, the struggle, if, if someone, and I have the privilege of having people, whether it's on the front row or, or people in the past that used to sit on the front row, and they come up and they, they either have lots of questions. I love David and Terry. They, they always come up here and ask me questions. Or, or James, when he used to come, always gave me a hug every single week right after the sermon ended. And those of you that, you know, give me amazing compliments and all those kind of things. But, but what would it be like after delivering a sermon and then instead of compliments or love or hugs, uh, people hitting you on the face or turning their backs on you or, or mocking you or literally yelling out that they hate you. This, this was the ministry of Jeremiah. You see, when they heard his message when they heard his prophecies they hated him for it there, there's people right now that speak multiple times in our church they they just don't speak it behind this pulpit lonnie two times a week he's serving in our church dennis over there vanessa throughout the week it's just absolutely amazing what they do and the privilege is they, they do it for our kids. They serve multiple times. You know, Isaac was up here, not, not just tonight, but he was up here on Sunday as well, right? The guys in the back, they come not just on Wednesday night. They come early on Sunday mornings. They come on Thursday nights. They're here throughout the week doing things to make sure that, you know, the sound or the streaming or whatever it is goes out. Those guys that make sure that the security, that your cars aren't being stolen right now. That, that make sure that the campus is safe. Or even the guys like, you know, Anthony and Kevin that make sure that <laughs> all the little things get done throughout the week. You, what, is, what is going on in Jeremiah's life? And we can say, well, it's hard or whatever, I, you know, ministry is difficult. It's nothing compared to what Jeremiah is going through. Nothing at all. In fact, look at the struggle that Jeremiah continues to have. For when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted violence and plunder. He's crying out to God. They're, they're not only, you know, physically hurting me, but they're also emotionally hurting me as well. Violence, plunder, a reproach and a derision daily. Why? Because I'm just speaking the word of God. 
because the word of the Lord was made to me. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. Do you see the vulnerability of Jeremiah? He, he didn't have to write this down. But what is he saying? I wish I didn't have to say this. I, I wish I didn't have to obey the word of God so truthfully. What, you see the struggle of the prophet. I mean, he's real. He's showing his humanity. But just like for many of you, God tells you go tell that person or go pray for that person or go talk to that person. That burden's there. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back and I could not. Whose will won? God's will won. You see, that struggle is in all of us, by the way. It, it's not just in, you know, the, the, you know, the Sunday Christian that has to go to work in a, you know, um, uh, non-religious environment or even in, 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 even in a hostile environment where there's constant you know the struggle of temptation and the constant struggle of of what would people say if i told them about jesus christ this is the religious leaders this is the priests this is the people who are in charge of the temple do you understand that this is the heart of Jeremiah for the people as he's struggling with this. It's like a fire in the very midst of my bones. I can't keep it in. I have to speak it. This is the power of the prophet. Verse 10, for I heard many mocking fear on every side report, they say, and we will report it. All my acquaintances watched for my stumbling, saying, perhaps he can be induced. Then he will prevail, or we will prevail against him, and we will take our revenge on him. Just like they did Jesus in the New Testament, watching for him to stumble, watching for him to make a mistake, watching for him to, you know, mess up. This is what it was like to be Jeremiah in the time of the fall of Jerusalem itself. And by the way, he's making sure he wants to deliver the truth. He wants to tell them. He wants them to repent. He wants them to turn from their evil ways. He wants, as we read last week, for their hearts to become soft and their necks to become pliable. For them to repent and turn. And as he's there in those stalks, verse 11, but the Lord is with me as a mighty one, a mighty awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. They will be greatly ashamed, for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. Who's on the prophet's side? The mighty awesome one. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that just absolutely amazing? Who is on your side? Stronger than any opposition you will ever face. 
And the opposition we face, by the way, is minuscule compared to what Jeremiah is facing. It's so tiny compared to the prophets in the Old Testament and the missionaries in the New Testament. It's so minuscule compared to that. We can claim the same thing. We can say the same thing. We can pronounce the same truths. O Lord of hosts, you test the righteous and see the mind and heart. Let me see your vengeance on them, for I have pleaded my cause before you you see the king that he is saying this to king zedekiah by the way who's not not the last king in israel he's going to be the second to the last king uh, the one that he delivered this message to uh, in second kings chapter 25 this is what happens to him and it's tragic by the way you see, over and over during this time, there's going to be these three-month intervals where there's going to be these puppet kings, all either, you know, sons or grandsons or, or relatives of Josiah, the good Josiah, who was the, the good king that was on the throne of Israel before this. In 2 Kings chapter 25, verses 1 through 7, we read what happened to King Zedekiah. Now it came to pass in the ninth month of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and camped against it. And they built a siege wall against it all around. And so the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. This is the time that Jeremiah is prophesying in. You can also read it again in, in 2 Chronicles, the last chapter, chapters 35 and 36 of, of 2 Chronicles. And by the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. And we read about what, what the people had to do last week. And I don't want to read that verse again. You can listen to it last week. Then the city wall was broken through, and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between the two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans were still encamped all around against the city. And the king went by way of the plain, but the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king. There's this, this squadron of the army that's protecting the king. They sneak out by night. King Zedekiah and his guardians, his, his you know, special forces, they sneak out at night, and the Chaldeans surround them, and they capture them. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king, and they overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him. So they took the king. They brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah. They pronounced judgment on him. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. And put out the eyes of Zedekiah. The last thing he sees is the death of his son. The, the legacy. The, the next generation of kings. Completely wiped out. The sons of Zedekiah killed. And then his eyes are put out. And then what happens to him? He's bound with bronze fetters and took him. 
to Babylon. And there he dies in the land of Babylon itself. Himself put in the stocks, by the way. The, the same exact punishment that is given to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, of course, if you read the whole book, we'll, we'll, we'll eventually get there. He, he's going to go through the same exact problems as everybody else. He's going to go through the famine. He's going to go through the drought. He's going to go through the same exact army. But, but instead of disobeying uh, the word of God, he's going to obey. Mm, just to segue, we'll, we'll eventually get there. You just have to show up on Wednesday nights to find out what happens, okay? Or just read ahead. <clears throat> then he says these amazing verses. In verse 13, sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the poor from the hand of evildoers. As he's there in those stocks, what does he do? Sings praises to God. In fact, he's quoting a psalm, by the way. He's quoting a psalm from the Old uh, Testament. I, I love this psalm in Psalm 35, 9 and 10. As he's remembering what he had read or memorized or treasured in his heart. These are the things that come out of his mouth as he's in the stocks, as, as he's being persecuted by his own people, the religious people of his day. In Psalms 35, verses 9 through 10, it, it says this, And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall be joyful in his salvation. All my bones shall say, The Lord who is like you. Delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him. Yes, the poor and the needy from him who plunders him. The, the, the same flavor, this, the same words that Jeremiah uses. That they're persecuting me, they're plundering me, they're hurting me. They're going through all this persecution because I'm speaking the truth. I have a question. If no one were watching, would you still serve? <clears throat> if, if no one were watching, would you still serve the Lord? If none of the pastors saw you, would you still do it? None of the leadership of the church saw you do it, would you still do it? You see, we're not doing it for people. We're not doing it for the religious leaders as Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, by the way, is going to be slapped by them. Who, who do we serve ultimately? We serve God. And he sees everything, by the way. And we, we a lot of times take that in a negative sense, but he sees all the good that you do. He sees that all the good that you do in his name for him alone. And when you do it in a secret way, guess what the applause in heaven will be like? It's a privilege, by the way. But, but then now it, it takes a turn in verse 14. And, and I remember I, I've taught on this section several times. I, I, the last time I, I talked on it was probably about four or five years ago with the men on Wednesday mornings. And 
And I remember reading this and wondering why this is here. Why is this here? And when you read it, I mean, it, it's it's so, um, it's just horrific and real and, and just the struggle of a human being who is told to prophesy the tragedy of the worst event that's going to happen in the city of Jerusalem, the downfall of the temple itself. And what does Jeremiah say in verse 14? Cursed be the day in which I was born. Let the day not be blessed in which my mother bore me. Let the man be cursed who brought news to my father saying a male child has been born to you. Make him very glad and let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew and did not relent. Let him hear the cry in the morning and the shouting at noon because he did not kill me in the womb. What is Jeremiah saying? I wish I was never born. But but even more than that, li listen to it. I mean, it it just it just overwhelming what he's saying here. That my mother might have been my grave, and her womb always enlarged with me. I wish I had been dead in my mother's womb and never left. Now, we, we can take it two ways. We can say, well, you know, he, he's so, you know, horrifically sad. He just wants to commit suicide. Or he, he's, you know, just so overwhelmed by all the things that are going on. He just wishes he was never born. But we see in the next part here. Why did I come forth from the womb to see labor and sorrow that my days should be consumed with shame. You see, what Jeremiah is saying is, I have to deliver the worst news in the history of Jerusalem itself. I have to deliver the temple's downfall. I have to deliver the downfall of Jerusalem, the city that I love, that I would give my life for. And I have to deliver that news. And, and the struggle that he's having, God, why did you choose me? And the, the fire within his bones, he has to say it. He has to tell it. We, we see the struggle is real within uh, the prophet of God. How, how many times do you pray for Pastor Mike when he's up here? And and by the way, you know, the preparation that he does every single Sunday. Not just having to deliver the truth of God from the book of Romans. But the preparation of that truth throughout the week. And, and instead of going home and, you know, having a roast pastor or smashed pastor or mashed pastor. You know, complaining about what he told you or how he told it or if you forgot to have the communion or whatever it was. Instead of encourage him or praying for him. It's easy to do. It's easy to fall into. And the privilege that we have as the people of God 
do we support our pastors? Do, do we pray for our pastor? Have you ever been on the website and just prayed for those pictures that are up there? The elders and the pastors and the people that work behind the scenes. Go to that webpage. Look at the, all the people that are up there and pray for them. You call this church home, we need to pray for our leaders, right? It's a, it's a privilege, by the way. And Jeremiah, he's struggling, you know, this, this opposite direction. No one supports me. No one's here to help me. I'm all by myself. And the struggle of delivering the worst prophecy to the nation of Jerusalem in his time. But he also has a privilege. And thank God for chapters 21 and 22, by the way. Because now he gets to deliver the miracle. Now he gets to deliver the greatest miracle that's going to happen within the time period of the Old Testament itself. You're no longer going to be proud of coming out of Egypt. You're going to start bragging about coming about of Babylon. An even greater nation, by the way. An even greater miracle than Egypt itself. God's going to bring the people back from the land of Babylon itself. You see, have you ever thought of this? Uh, I'm just going to read two verses for you. Second Timothy and, and then John. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Yes, all who desire to live godly in Jesus Christ will suffer persecution. It's a promise. It's just one we won't post on a refrigerator or mirror. Or, or John 15, verse 20. Jesus is saying this one, by the way. Remember the words that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. You see, persecution is a promise of God. We don't like to think it like that, but it is. But also remember, it is not for yourself, but for God that you're having to deliver the message. It's not about you. And we, we can get so caught up in that. It, it's about God. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about his reputation. It's, it's about his honor. It, it's about who he is and his truth. That's the message that we are supposed to be delivering. By the way, all this is summed up in the word lamentation. This is what Jeremiah is doing. He's the lamenting prophet. Who is he lamenting over? Not himself, the stocks, or the smack across the face. Who is he lamenting? The people. In fact, in verse 21, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah sent to him Pashur, the king of Melchiah, and Zephaniah, the son of Masaiah, the priest, saying, Who is sending these priests to him? Who is sending the priests to him? Who's the one that's directing the persecution? It's King Zedekiah. He's saying, you go handle it. You're the priest. You, you go do that, right? 
He's the one that's directing the behind the scenes. And by the way, the same guy that we read about earlier is going to have his eyes gouged out right after his sons are killed in front of him. Verse 2, please inquire of the Lord for us. For Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, makes war against us. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to all his wonderful works that the king may go away uh, with us. Who, who are they trying to please? Who, who are they trying to, you know, get on the good side of? The king, right? Not, not just the king of Jerusalem, but the king of Babylon. Maybe we can make a, you know, a deal with him. Maybe we can somehow get out of this. But what does Jeremiah say? Jeremiah said to them, thus you shall say to Zedekiah, thus says the Lord God of Israel, behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands with which you fight against the king of Babylon and the Chaldeans who besiege you outside the wall. And I will assemble them in the midst of the city. I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and with a strong arm, even in anger and fury and great wrath. Who's actually against the people of Jerusalem? Not just the king of Babylon. God himself. And normally when we see this written, it's, you know, in the Psalms, King David is saying, God, you're on my side. You're my rock. You're my fortress. You're all those amazing things. You're my awesome God. And who is that awesome God against? Jerusalem. Because they're hard-hearted, stiff-necked. They don't want to repent of their sins. As we see in these verses, I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand. With a strong arm, even in anger and fury and great wrath, I will strike the inhabitants of the city, both men and beasts. They shall die of a great pestilence. Not only is there going to be famine and drought, but now disease as well. And afterward, says the Lord, I will deliver Zedekiah, king of Judah, his servants, and the people and such as are left in this city from the pestilence and the sword and the famine into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life. And he shall strike them with the edge of the sword. He shall not spare them, nor have pity, nor mercy. Who is the one that's against Jerusalem? God himself. Using this nation of Babylon. And by, by the way, he will judge Babylon too. He will judge the Persians who judge Babylon. He'll, he'll judge the Greeks who judge Persia. He'll judge the Romans who judge the Greeks. And eventually Israel will come back to the land. But, but do you understand not only the behind-the-scenes workings of this prophecy that Jeremiah has to deliver and the struggle of the prophet. It's like a fire in my bones, and I can't keep it in. The prophetic word of God. Verses 8 through 10, it says this, Now you shall say to this people, thus says the Lord, 
Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. You have a choice. He who remains in the city shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. But he who goes out and defects to the Chaldeans who besiege you, he shall live. And his life shall be as a prize to him. Wow. Jeremiah is telling them the truth, the, the prophetic truth. If you go and surrender right now, if you, you go and defect to the other side, you'll be saved. Just like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Just like Ezekiel. Just, just like all those that were taken away captive. If, if you surrender now, you will be kept alive. You'll be taken to Babylon, but you'll be kept alive. But if you stay in this city, you're going to die. Now, it's the opposite way of what we would normally think, right? There's protection behind the walls, but we know what's going to happen to the walls. They're going to come down. So much so that in verse 9, it says, or verse 10, it says, I have set my face against the city for adversity and not for good, says the Lord. It shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with uh, fire. The prophetic word of God. Now, hopefully you get a glimpse into why Jeremiah is struggling so much. You see, for Jeremiah, loving the city, loving the temple, what does he have to deliver? The cold, hard truth of the destruction of the place that he loves, with all of his heart, by the way. Verse 11, it continues on, the concerning the house of the king of Judah, say, hear the word of the Lord, O house of David. Thus says the Lord, execute judgment in the morning. Deliver him who is plundered out of the hand of the oppressor, lest my fury go forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Behold, I am against you, inhabitant of the valley, the rock of the plain, says the Lord, who says, who shall come down against us or who shall enter your dwell, our dwellings, but I will punish you according to the fruit of your doings. Why is this happening? Because God is just some vindictive God in the sky with his thunderbolts or his lightning just wants to destroy everything? No. Because of their choices, because of their sins, because of the consequences of what has been happening over the hundreds and hundreds of years, the centuries of time. And I will kindle a fire in its forest, and it shall devour all things around it. Then there's an amazing chapter that comes after chapter 22. No longer now to the religious leaders, but now to the um, the leaders that are the kings, the, the governmental leaders, if you will. In chapter 22, we read this, thus says the Lord, go down to the house of the king of Judah and there speak this word and, and say, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, you who sit on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates, thus says the Lord, execute judgment and righteousness and deliver the plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. Do not do no wrong 
and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place. For if you indeed do this thing, then you shall enter the gates of this house, riding on horses and in chariots, accompanied by servants and people, kings who sit on the throne of David. But if you will not hear these words, I swear by myself, says the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. Who is God promising by? The highest thing ever. The highest promise. In fact, we read this in Hebrews chapter 6. And you, I know all of you know this. Hebrews 6.13. For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. No longer for the good of the nation, but now for the destruction of the nation. I swear by myself, I'm going to bring down the walls. I swear by myself, I'm going to bring down the temple. Because you have disobeyed the word of God. You've made your hearts hard and your necks stiff. For thus says the Lord to the house, the king of Judah, you are Gilead to me, the head of Lebanon, yet I will surely make you a wilderness cities which are not inhabited. I will prepare destroyers against you, everyone with his weapons. They will cut down your choice cedars, cast them into the fire, and many nations will pass by this city. And everyone will say to his neighbor, why has the Lord done so to this great city, this once beautiful city? And if, if you go back to the, you know, uh, book of First Kings where we see the, you know, the beautiful city of Jerusalem being built by King Solomon, all, all those ramparts and the blisters on the walls and the catapults and all the various guard towers, the city itself, the walls itself, and then the temple, how beautiful that was, built by King Solomon with, with no, you know, money spared. Just, just this beautiful temple itself. Everything is going to become a desolation, literally raised to the ground. And when people walk by, what will they say? This once beautiful city is now just a garbage heap. Just a desolation. Just a horrible place to walk by. Verse 9, then they will answer because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and worshipped other gods and served them. All the other nations will know why. Because they abandoned their God. They, they, they abandoned the one that chose them. They've abandoned the one that loved them. Made a covenant with them. They, they abandoned their God. Verse 10. Weep not for the dead, nor bemoan him. Weep bitterly for him who goes away. For he shall return no more, nor see his native uh, land. And then, of course, he talks about the next three generations of the sons of Josiah. Uh, for thus says the Lord concerning Shalom, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, who reigned instead of Josiah, his father, who went from this place. By the way, he only reigned for three months. He shall not return here anymore, for he shall die in the place where they have led him captive and shall see this land no more. You read those same passages back in Second Chronicles right before King Zedekiah. Zedekiah 
uh, it was his brother, his older brother, who was taken away in the, one of the other captivities. In the, in the second captivity, he was taken away as well. And so Zedekiah gets put upon the throne. And of course, you remember what happened to him from Second Chronicles. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness in his chambers, by injustice, who uses his neighbor's service without wages and gives him nothing for his work, who says, I will build myself a white house with spacious chambers, cut out windows for it, paneling it with cedar, painting it with vermilion. What, what did, you know, King Shulam want to do? In those three months that he was on the throne, what, what was his whole focus on? Himself. His beautiful house. Making it amazing and a mansion or, you know, this, this beautiful cedar house that he makes. Or verse 15, shall you reign because you enclosed yourself in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it will, it, then it was well with him. And by the way, Josiah, his father, was the, the good king, Josiah. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Then it was well. Was not the knowing me, says the Lord, yet your eyes and your heart are for nothing but your covetousness, for shedding innocent blood and practicing oppression and violence. These are the kings that were reigning during the time of Jeremiah's prophecy. And the consequences of their actions, using literally slave labor from the Jews, not paying them to build his beautiful house made out of cedar painted in red, vermilion. And then going above and beyond that, to even shedding innocent blood, killing his own countrymen because of his jealousy. Or the next king, King Jehoiakim, therefore thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, my brother or my sister, they shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, master, alas, his glory. He shall be buried with the burial of a donkey, dragged and cast out beyond the gates of Babylon. Oh, how unceremonious is this. What, what will happen to King Jehoiakim? He'll be buried like a... <clears throat> Yeah, the other word for donkey. He'll just be buried like an animal. This is what's going to happen to the kings of Jerusalem. Go up to Lebanon, cry out, lift up your voice in Bashan, cry from Abiram, for all your lovers are destroyed. I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said I will not hear. And again, remember, God is not just speaking this one time in Jeremiah. He has been speaking to them for hundreds and hundreds of years, giving them mercy and grace and chances over and over and over again, speaking to them in their prosperity when he blessed them. And they did not change their ways. And so now, how is God speaking to them? In their persecution. You see again. Persecution. Is a loud voice. 
the destruction that is coming. Have you ever, you know, I mean, we, we can kind of understand this personally, okay? Just to end it here, we understand this personally, right? That, that sometimes God has to speak to us in the problems of our life. Why? Because when we're prosperous, we don't want to listen. Or, or we're too busy to listen, or, or we're too proud to listen, or, or we, we have too many things to listen. God has to take away so that all we can do is look to him. And many times that takes problems. M many times that takes trials and tribulations. Because we, just like the people of Israel, are hard-hearted and stiff-necked. And we don't want to repent, right? There's so many practical applications to this. It continues on, and we'll, we'll end in this section here. I spoke to you in your prosperity, but you said, I will not hear. This has been a manner from your youth that you did not obey my voice. The wind shall eat up all your rulers, and your lovers shall go into captivity. Surely then you will be ashamed and humiliated for all your wickedness. O inhabitant of Lebanon, making your nest in the cedars, how gracious will you be when pangs come upon you, like the pain of a woman in labor. You see, the cedar palace, the cedar house, the smell, the, all, all the trappings that come with, you know, prosperity. And what is God going to do to it all? Tear it down. And so when you're in the land of Babylon and all you can do is think about me, when you wish you had a temple again, when you wish you had a place to worship me, and when the Passover would come or when the high feasts of the, the fall sacrifices would come or, or when all those events that you remember that you used to say I'm too busy to go to, you're going to want them again when you're in Babylon, when you can't do it, when you can't do it anymore. You see, we should be grateful for our place to come into where the doors are open. We should be grateful for a, a, just a, a place to be able to serve and worship God. Whatever post that may be. Because just like uh, the nation of Judah, the city of Jerusalem, with the temple itself in their midst, God's going to take it away. God's going to take them away. The land of Babylon. So, Father, tonight as we end it here, Lord, I ask that you would uh, help us uh, to not just think of this as a, you know, a, a message or a lesson or a sermon from you know, 2,700 years ago but how it applies to us today, how, how we ourselves can do exactly like uh, the city of Jerusalem, how we ourselves can be in our pampered state, in our content state, not listen to the God that loves us and made a covenant with us and, and gave his son for us. And many times it's in those times of persecution and trials and problems that we actually turn to you. Please forgive us of that. Please forgive us of that. 
And so, Lord, I ask that you would help us to listen to your word, that we would desire, that we would desire with all of our hearts to grow closer to you daily. Lord, I thank you for these, my friends, my family, those that are online. I ask you bless them. Use us for your glory this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. God bless.